I really wanted to go to Matthew chapter 16 this week, but as I was studying and as I was putting together my thoughts for Matthew chapter 16, I was like, you know, we're sort of kind of getting ahead of ourselves a little bit, so let's go back. And uh, we saw in chapter 12 last week that the Jews basically rejected the kingdom. Uh, they, 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 they associated uh, the miracles, the, 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 the things that Christ was doing to show that he was going to institute the, uh, the, the new covenant. They associated that with Beelzebub. They associated that with the works of Satan. And so basically that was the point where Israel generally had rejected their, their Messiah. They had rejected the Lord. And we see the tenor of Christ's ministry change in, in chapter 13. There's no verse that says that his ministry changed, but we see the, the, the tenor of his ministry becomes more towards uh, the, the individuals, and it becomes very uh, focused on the disciples as opposed to the announcement of repent uh, that was given to Israel. And so chapter 13 sort of starts this, and we see that Christ is going to really transition into uh, uh, teaching in parables. And he teaches in parables, as we're going to see, not to give an illustration, but to actually hide the truth from Israel. Now, that's really interesting because Christ felt the, 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 the need to hide this truth because judgment was going to come on the, uh, on the nation of Israel. So let's uh, kind of jump ahead and uh, go to verse 10 through 13 to sort of get uh, uh, a context, if you will. Then we'll go back and look at some of the, uh, the individual parables. In uh, verse 10, And the disciples came and said unto him, Why speakest thou unto them in parables? He answered and said unto them, Because it is given unto you to know the mysteries of the kingdom of heaven. But to them it is not given. For whosoever hath to him shall be given, and he shall have more abundance. But whosoever hath not, from him shall it be taken away even that he hath. Therefore I speak to them in parables, because they, seeing, not, are, uh, seeing see not, and hearing they hear not neither do they understand. And in them is fulfilled the prophecy of Isaiah, which saith, by hearing ye shall hear, and shall not understand, and seeing ye shall see, and shall not perceive. Let's go to the Lord in prayer. Heavenly Father God, we come to you this morning and ask, Lord, that you would do a work in our life. We ask God that you would stir us. We ask God that you would just do what only you can do. Comfort us, encourage us, rebuke us as necessary. We pray in Jesus' name. Amen. So we see very much that, uh, that, that Christ is going to change his, his, his teaching method. Recall in chapter 5 through chapter 7, Christ was pretty straightforward and pretty blunt as to what he was teaching. There was nothing that was shielded or nothing that was concealed. But here he's, he's changing the way that he's teaching so that way they, they won't be able to perceive uh, what's, what's being given in the word of God. And so he's going to use parables to do that. And so we begin with the, uh, with the parables, and the, the first parable is the parable of the sowers. The parable of the sowers. And we see that in uh, verse 1 through 9, which we've already read uh, this morning, and then the interpretation of that is in verse 18 through 23, which let's go ahead and read that so we can see what the, uh, the interpretation would be. Hear ye therefore the parable of the sower. When anyone heareth the word of the kingdom, and understandeth it not, then cometh the wicked one, and catcheth away that which was sown in his heart. This is he which received the seed by the wayside. And he that received the seed into stony places, the same as he that heareth the word, and anon with joy receiveth it. Yet hath he not root yet in himself, but doeth uh, for a while, for when tribulation or persecution ariseth because of the word, by and by he is offended." 
He also that received the seed among the thorns, he it is that heareth the word, and the care of this world, and the deceitfulness of riches, choke the word, and he becometh unfruitful. And he that receives seed into the good ground is he that heareth the word and understandeth it, which also beareth fruit, and bring together for, uh, and bring forth some a hundredfold, some sixty, and some thirty. And so this is a parable that we're all very familiar with, and we've heard preached or, or taught probably uh, dozens of different times. One of the things I want us to uh, get is in the, in, the, in the context here, we're not really necessarily talking about the gospel. We're talking about the kingdom of God. And so again, this is, this is uh, uh, projecting again Christ's ministry of this idea of repent because the kingdom of God is at hand. And the, the kingdom of God is very much associated with the, uh, with the throne of David and with, of course, the new covenant, which is all, of course, rooted back in the, uh, the, the covenant with, uh, with Abraham. And so we see several parts of this, uh, th- this parable. We have a sower, we have seed, we have fowls, and of course we have the four types of ground. So when we consider the interpretation, it's, I mean, it's really not rocket science, but one of the, 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 the troubles that people have is that when they associate this with, with the gospel, is that people start to wonder about people that receive the gospel and they sort of seem to catch on fire for a little while and then he, they fall away. Were they really saved? Or did they lose their salvation? Well, since we're not talking about the gospel, since we're talking about the kingdom, then we would go back again to a Jewish context as opposed to a New Testament church context, and we would see that this is really not talking about our salvation, although there's an application to that. And so the gist of the parable really is that a sower is spreading seed, and as the seed is spread, some of it's going to be productive, some of it's going to be unproductive. And so the, uh, the interpretation, again, helps us to, 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 to understand because Christ is going to teach so that way they don't understand. And this comes from Isaiah chapter 6, verse 9 through 10, which uh, is the, that, that famous passage of, Here am I, send me. And then, Christ, or, and then God sends Isaiah to preach to the people so their ears will be heavy, so they'll hear but not understand, so they'll see but not see, if that makes any sense. And so the sower is the one that's going to, uh, that's going to sow the, uh, the, the, the seed. And so there's nothing at all wrong with the sower. There's nothing wrong that the sower is doing. The sower is going and sowing the seed. And so the, the, it's not the sower's fault that, that the, uh, the, the seed is falling on bad ground. It's not the sower's fault that the seed is not sprouting. It's not the sower's fault that it's choked by thorns. It's the ground. But then we see the seed. And the seed in this context is clearly the word of God about the kingdom of God. And so the word of God, I mean, is, is a very broad term. And again, we can make an application concerning the gospel, but I think we just need to be very, very careful whenever we try to make a theological point on a parable. Remember, a, parallel, uh, a parable generally is, comes from the Greek parabolos, which basically means to throw down alongside. And so when you see a train track, you're going to have another train track that's going to follow along exactly. And so it's basically using an earthly truth to show us a heavenly truth. And so that's what a parable is. So the parable is not the thing. The parable simply points to a thing. And so we need to be very, very careful of trying to establish doctrine and and a theological uh, uh, truth. Now, that's not really the right word because theological truth, a theological tenet. There we go. Uh, based off of a parable. 
Okay, that's a, uh, it's generally, it's, it's bad hermeneutics, and oftentimes it'll confuse us because the parable is meant to illustrate something that was for real, the, uh, a real concept, in this case, a heavenly concept. And so the seed is the word of God. And so the word of God is spread by the sower. And so the sower, of course, initially would be Jesus Christ. And then the sower, continuing on further, would be the disciples, and in Ephesians chapter 2, we see that the church was built on the Christ, which is the cornerstone, and the apostles, which are the foundation. And then we're built, we're basically the bricks in the wall that, uh, that rises from that foundation. And so this is really going to be basically about the beginning of the kingdom, if you will. The beginning of the proclamation of the kingdom, I should say. And so we come to the four types of soils, and... Obviously, again, there, there's, there's, there's good application that we can make in our own hearts and our lives, but I want us to just kind of come back to the context here before we start to get too much into the, uh, the application. First of all, we have the wayside. This, of course, is the hard land that would, would follow the, 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 the path, and as anybody can really attest to, you know, if you throw a seed out there, it's really, it's not going to get planted. It's just going to lay out there. But we see something interesting that, uh, that happens is when they sow the seed, because the dirt is hard, what happens? The birds come and devour it. Now, when we think about birds, we're going to come to birds again later on. But birds are oftentimes associated with Satan or with, uh, with, with demonic activity. And so we see that the seed is, is out, and because it hasn't been sown, because it hasn't been placed under the ground in a safe location, basically Satan's going to come and he's going to devour it. And this is exactly what we see happening in Christ's ministry. Christ is going out, John the Baptist is going out, repent, because the kingdom of heaven is at hand. Repent, the kingdom of heaven is at hand. And we see Satan coming and just basically devouring the word as it's sown, the, the, or as, as it's spread out, if you will. We see the Pharisees associating the works of Christ with the acts of Beelzebub. And today, the Jews would still be this hard dirt, is that people will go and they will proclaim the kingdom is at hand. Repent, repent, repent. The message hasn't changed. And yet we see the Jewish people in general without a worry, without a care. You guys are just some weird sect. Now, this doesn't mean that we quit proclaiming to the Jews. The Jews are a blessed people. The Bible says that God will bless those that bless them. God will curse those that curse them. And so I don't really understand all the, all the complexities of what that looks like, but I'll tell you what, I'm not going to stand aside and curse the Jews. But one of the ways that we're going to bless the Jews is by proclaiming the word, by sowing the seed. Most of the seed will fall on the hard ground, but some of it, as we'll see soon, will fall on the good soil. And then we have the stony ground. Those that hear the word, and it springs forth quickly, but there's no depth. And so, therefore, it dies. Because the, the root doesn't have a chance to go down into the water, the root doesn't have a chance to secure the plant, the plant's going to die. And we see this uh, later on when Christ feeds the 5,000. When Christ feeds the 5,000, what are the people going to do? They're going to come to make him king. And Christ is going to leave. Because it's not his time yet, as John would say. It is not yet his time. The people want to make him king, but then, brethren, just a, a few, uh, just a short period of time later, those same people are going to be in Jerusalem celebrating the Passover, saying, crucify him! Crucify him! The same people that saw him feed the 5,000, the same people that ate that bread, the same people that ate that fish, are the same people in Jerusalem now 
Crucify him. Crucify him. Yes, the seed was sown and it apparently took some root in the people that had eaten that bread. And yet, the people ultimately rejected him because they had no root. And of course, we could see in our own lives how the word of God is, 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 is spread around today. And, and people will get excited. But oftentimes, they'll just fall away quickly. It, it, it's sad you know, I've seen it so many times, and one of the big struggles with being in ministry is you can't get jaded. You can't get hard-hearted, but it's easy to do. When you see somebody come and they get saved and they get all excited, and three weeks later, man, you never hear hide nor hair from them again. How many times does that have to happen before finally you're like, oh, yeah, great, someone got saved? And you don't really get excited about it until about 10 years later. So, oh, wow, they're still around. No, brethren, we, we, we can't get like that. We have to be very, very careful and guard our hearts. But we see, again, the, when we, when we see, are going to see the progression of the kingdom, we see that it starts off with this, with this spreading of the, of, the, of, the, uh, of the seed, and we see that the seed so far has fallen on hard ground. It's taken no root. It's fallen on stony ground and taken shallow root. And then, of course, it falls on the thorny ground. This is the ground that already has existing vegetation. It's ground that only appears to be productive, but of course it's not producing anything that's worthwhile. Interesting thing is, is that this field, they didn't go out and sow this field, but there's still stuff growing out there. I mentioned there's some good stuff. There's probably still some collard greens growing out there. Well, if that's good stuff, but there's still, there's still collard greens growing out there. But most of it's going to be unproductive. Most of it's going to be stuff that we can't eat, that we can't, isn't going to be good for us. You know, stuff will grow. But unfortunately, many times, if we don't cultivate it, it's going to do what? It's going to choke out the good seed. And that's exactly what we see is going to be happening as, the, as, the, as, the, the, as we progress towards the kingdom, is that there's going to be a lot of people that are going to hear the word, but it's going to be choked out by the cares of this world. And we see this again in Christ's ministry. We see the, the, the people that were the stony ground. It, it came up. Let's make him king. We, we, we'll see other people uh, later on that, that just, the cares of this world. Judas. Judas is a good example of that. 30 pieces of silver he sold his Savior. 30 measly pieces of silver. I love that phrase. Uh, you know, I'm not a big fan of them, but you know those inspirational posters that you know, you'll see around the, the office and stuff? Usually if you work in a crummy office, they'll have all those inspirational things to try to, try to cheer you up, you know? But it's basically, you know, Judas had the best pastor, he had the best leader, he had the best person, and yet he still fell away. And, you know, that's, that's to try to cheer up a, a leader a little bit when you see people falling away. Because I'm no Jesus. Judas was like this thorny ground. He allowed the word of God to be choked by the cares of this world. He followed the Lord for three years. I'll tell you, there's a message in there just, just in itself. I love, I love the passage where it says that the disciples went out two by two. Not because that's the way we should do missions. It's not a bad way of doing missions. But I love that because you know what? Somebody went out with Judas. They slept under, under, by a fire together. They ministered together. They served together. They cast out demons together. They healed the sick together. And nobody ever thought that he was Judas. 
Nobody thought it. No matter how intimate they were, nobody knew that Judas was a Judas. That's sobering, brethren. That's sobering. That's why Christ says, don't judge. Don't judge because you have no idea what's in the heart of somebody. Just because somebody comes to church every week doesn't make them a child of the king. Just because somebody's not in church doesn't not make them a child of the king. Now, we know that there's right and wrong, and we discern that, and we, we judge that, if you will. But, brother, be careful that you try to assume that you know what's in somebody's heart because you have no idea. And then the last ground is the good ground. And this is the ground that when it was sown... Now, the insinuation here is that it, it, was, a, it was a small part of what was sown. When it was sown, the seed didn't just take root, but it was fruitful. And it gave a hundredfold, sixtyfold, thirtyfold. I heard a preacher preach one time. He says, you see that thirtyfold is like people that come to church on Sunday morning. Sixtyfold is for people that come on Sunday night. Hundredfold is for people that come on Wednesday. I thought that was pretty clever when he preached it. Until I went back and was like, that's not what that says. Now, do we want you to come on Wednesday night? Yes, but you're not going to be producing a hundredfold simply because you come on Wednesday night. All right, but I, I just thought that was a, a very clever way of using the passage, not necessarily true to the text, but I just thought I would share that because it's neat how sometimes how people will read into the scriptures what they want to read into it. And so we want to read out of the, uh, the, the scriptures. And so we see that this, this, was, this was productive. And you know, in Christ's ministry, he was apparently a failure. Christ was crucified on the cross. All of the disciples had abandoned him. They had all gone, as I preached a little over a year ago, but Mary Magdalene, Mary the mother of James, Mary the mother of Jesus were the ones that were left at the cross. The ladies were the ones that were left. The majority of people left. It appeared that Christ had lost. But the seed had taken root. The seed was going to grow. And the seed concerning the kingdom was going to begin to grow in, the, in Peter who we'll see next week, is going to be handed the keys to the kingdom. And we see it, it, it grow as, as, as Paul gets saved and converted and, and, and as the church starts to grow. What starts off small is going to grow big. But brethren, it apparently is going to be a losing proposition. Might I say that missions, church in general, brethren, is a losing proposition. You say, Pastor, that's a horrible way to look at it. Did you know that this church is one generation away from dying? One generation away from dying. The church throughout the, 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 the history of churchdom has always been one generation away from dying. The world has gone to great lengths to try to extinguish, uh, to, uh, extinguish that church. They've tried to kill people. They've, they've martyred people. They've burned people at the stake. They've mocked them. But I think the world is finally on to something. Because the best way to destroy the church is not through martyrdom. That just encourages the church even more. It's to basically just lead us into a sense of lethargy. Lead us into a sense of comfort. Comfort will destroy our church faster than persecution. Comfort will destroy our church faster than just about anything. Brethren, it appears that we're in a losing proposition. 
it, it, it seems like, you know, mission, do you know that people are being born into the world faster than they're being one to Christ? We, 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 we like to think that we're making headway in the world in missions. Brethren, countries are just as lost as they were years ago, 150 years ago. There is just a much need for missions, for people that are going out and, and, and touching people and communicating with people as there was 150 years ago. And the thing that's making it even harder is that countries now are developing. Remember when we got to Thailand for the first time, it was, you know, they were pretty poor. But I'll tell you what, most of the people when they go to Thailand now, they're like, this is Thailand? They're expecting people living in grass huts and no, 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 no. It's a developed, developing country. And you know what? It is harder to preach the gospel there today than it was 20, 30 years ago. Comfort. But brethren, we can rest assured that as the seed, as the seed is planted, yes, much of it will fall by the wayside, but some will sprout. And the kingdom message will sprout. Now, let's continue on. We're going to move fairly quickly uh, through these. Uh, each of these would almost warrant a message in and of themselves, but I, I want us to see sort of the whole picture. Because the second one, that, uh, the second parable that Christ is going to tell is also one that he interprets. It's the parable of the wheat and the tares in verse 24 through 30. It says, another parable put forth, uh, uh, he put forth unto them, saying, the kingdom of heaven is likened unto a man which sowed good seed in his field. So you can see the progression of the, uh, of the, the parable, can't you? That the, the first parable, you know, talked about all of the, the, the bad ground, but we have the good, we have the good, uh, uh, the good field. So now there's a man that's going to sow in the, the good field. But while, uh, but while men slept, his enemy came and sowed tares among the wheat and went his way. But when the blade was sprung up and brought forth fruit, then appeared the tares also. So the servants of the householder came and said unto him, Sir, didst not thou sow good seed in thy field? From whence then hath it tares? He said unto them, An enemy hath done this. The servant said unto him, Wilt thou then uh, that we go and gather them up? But he said, Nay, lest while ye gather up the tares, ye root up also the wheat with them. Let both grow together until the harvest. And in the time of harvest, I will say to the reapers, Gather ye together first the tares, and bind them in bundles to burn them, but gather the wheat into my barn. And then in verse uh, 36 through 43, we have the interpretation of that. And so, again, we have a man that's going to, that's going to be sowing seed into a field. And he's sowing a good seed in the field. But his enemy comes along at night and is sowing tares. Now these tares, uh, uh, as, as reading, was likely a, a plant called darnel, evidently poisonous. Uh, if we eat, I don't know how much you have to eat for it to be poisonous, but evidently it looks just like wheat until it flowers. When you get the bud, that's when you're going to know which one is the wheat and which one is the tare, or which one is the worthless one. But until then, they're both going to grow up and look very similar. And evidently, the, the, the roots will become entangled. So even if you recognize which one was which, when you try to pull, you're going to end up pulling up the, 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 the root of the good plant as well. And so what's the interpretation here? Well, obviously, Christ is trying to show them that in this good field, there will be fruit that will be growing. And based on the parable before, some will give 30-fold, 60-fold, 100-fold. So it's going to be productive, but... There's also going to be bad things that are growing in this field as well. 
And Christ says to let them grow. Let them grow, because in the end, there's going to be a judgment. And brethren, that's exactly what we see when we look at the tenor of Scripture. Is that as the, as the, the, the Word of God, as the Kingdom of God progresses out, and as the, 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 the Gospel be- begins to be the message that we're going to preach, we see that false will grow with the true. And Christ says, let them go. In the end, there will be a judgment. And Christ will be able to discern which is the tear and which is the wheat. And then along the same lines, then we see the, <coughs> excuse me, the parable of the mustard seed in verse 31. Okay, and hopefully you can see kind of how, how, these, how these parables are kind of building on one another. Another parable put forth, well, put he forth unto them, saying, The kingdom of heaven is like to a grain of mustard seed, which a man took and sowed in his field, which indeed is the least of all seeds, but when it is grown, it is the greatest among herbs, and becometh a tree, so that the birds of the air come and lodge in the branches thereof. And so this is a pretty simple, uh, you know, the mustard seed is a very, very small seed. And when he plants it, it's going to uh, grow. And it's going to be the largest of the, uh, of the garden herbs, the, the, the garden veg- or, uh, fruits or vegetables, or whatever you want to call it. And it's going to grow to 20 to 30 feet. So it's going to grow much larger in proportion uh, to, to its seed. And so the interpretation would lead us to sort of start thinking that, wow, wow so the, the kingdom is going to be a small seed and it's going to grow into a big, big, uh, big thing. Well, again, the, the whole tenor of the, uh, of the parable seems to be referring to error, to error, to error, to error. So it would seem here that this is not really talking about a, uh, uh, um, the, the, the gospel that's going to be planted is going to grow great but it seems to be referring to the error that's going to be planted alongside, or the tear, if you will, it's going to be planted alongside uh, the, the, the other herbs in the garden. And so it's going, to, it's going to grow, and eventually the birds in the air are going to come and lodge. What does all that mean? Well, typically, trees are associated with nations. Uh, we can see that in Daniel chapter 4. We talk, talk about Nebuchadnezzar being uh, associated with a tree. And oftentimes birds are associated with satanic objects, uh, satanic beings that, that, that come and destroy. Uh, we saw that in the, uh, uh, Abraham with the Abrahamic covenant, that, that birds came down and destroyed. Uh, we see uh, uh, several, many, many times in the, uh, in, the, in, the, in the scriptures, the idea of birds being a representation, being an idea of, of a satanic being, of a, of a demonic being. So we can see that this, this, this tree or this kingdom is going to grow, and it's going to be a lodging place for basically the birds of the world, for the satanic beings, for the demonic beings. And brethren, this is the thing that Christ is doing to sort of prepare them. Because the, 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 the disciples, no doubt, are going to, they're, they're starting to get excited. We're going to see them eventually. They're going to fight over who's going to be greatest in the kingdom. Who gets to sit on your right hand? Who has to sit on the left hand? excited about this kingdom thing. But Christ is starting to prepare them. Prepare them as he goes forward, as he knows that he's going to have that date with the cross. Prepare them that, hey guys, this is not going to be all peaches and cream. Things are going to get real tough here pretty soon. And so the, 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 the seed is going to be planted. But brethren, it doesn't take a lot of error to eventually destroy. It doesn't take a lot of error to grow into a great tree that's going to give comfort and refuge 
to the demonic beings of the world, to the people that are antichrists. And we see this further supported in Matthew chapter 13, verse 33, where we see the, uh, the leaven in the meal. Another parable spake he unto them, the kingdom of heaven. Notice these phrases, the kingdom of heaven, the kingdom of heaven, the kingdom of heaven. The kingdom of heaven is like unto uh, leaven, which a woman took and hid in three measures of meal till the whole was leavened. Now, this is really interesting because when we think about leaven, almost always, except for Leviticus chapter 4, we see that leaven is associated with evil. Now, in Leviticus chapter 4, there is an instance where, where a leavened bread was given as, a, uh, as, a, as an offering. But almost always, leaven is associated with sin. We think of uh, Luke chapter 12, verse 1, where it's associated with hypocrisy. We think chapter 16, where it's associated with, uh, with uh, false teaching. Uh, we think of Matthew chapter 22, where it's associated with compromise, so on and so forth. The, 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 the leaven of the Pharisees, leaven, 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 bad, bad, bad. And so we see three meals, which uh, 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 three parts, which would be evidently enough to feed 100 people. And there's a little bit of leaven that's hidden inside the dough. And brethren, when you put a little bit of leaven inside the dough, what happens to that dough? It grows. At what point, after you put the leaven in, can you take the leaven out? You can't. It's there. And brethren, this is exactly what Christ is warning them. He's not telling them as a... As a uh, um, uh, uh, what a, was it a post-millennial? Anyway, as some people believe that the world is getting better, that the gospel is growing more, and that eventually the whole world is going to be part of the kingdom. Now, what he's teaching is that actually error is going to multiply. Because as you hide a little bit of that error, brethren, you can't separate it. It's there. And that meal, that, that bread dough is going to grow and grow and grow. I made a cake for my mom when I was 11. I wanted to surprise her. And the, the, the recipe called three TSP of baking soda or baking powder, one of the two. I can't remember which one. Well, me being a detail-oriented kind of guy, I put three cups <laughs> into the recipe. Yes, I did, Jen. <laughs> I know you're over there. How in the world could you do that? I'll write a book about it, and I'll autograph it for you someday. And it was like a thing out of Willy Wonka or something. The cake just kept growing and growing and growing and growing and growing and growing. And so my mom comes home, and there's all of this stuff in the bottom of her oven and it just kept growing and it was just like it was just like this never-ending cake and I was like mom that's how much I love you <laughs> well she didn't beat me within a half inch of my life fortunately because she at least did the awe you tried to make a cake for me now I have to clean up the mess but brethren that's what leaven does that's what a leavening agent does is it, is it just keeps expanding and keeps expanding and keeps expanding brethren I wish it was true that when we go and we take a small seed of the gospel and we plant it, that it grows into a great, a great bush. I wish it was true that we could take the gospel and hide just a little bit out in the world and it would just grow exponentially. But brethren, that's not the way it works. 
20 years on the mission field, 20 years touching people, talking to people, spending time with people, eating with people, and we left a church with 25 people. Now, I, I know, you know, that we're also, oh, praise the Lord for those 25 people. Think, think about that. You gave up literally the 20 best years of your life, and you left 25 people. Now, brother, I don't say this so you feel sorry. That's not, that's not my point. My point is, is that I wish that I went to Thailand and I just planted that small seed right there and it just, boom, it just... But it doesn't happen like that. It just doesn't happen. But the funny thing about error is you plant just a little bit of error and you watch that puppy multiply. You watch it multiply. And so then we come to the, uh, the parable of the old things, the last three parables, and we'll go through these rather quickly. Uh, verse 44, again, the kingdom of heaven is like unto a treasure hid in a field, which when man hath found, he hideth, uh, and for joy thereof goeth and uh, selleth all that he hath and buyeth that field. And so we consider the, 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 the parable of the a hidden treasure. He finds that thing, and, the, and that, that, that thing is, is, is Israel. Israel is the treasure, and, and Christ did what? He buried that treasure, but he's coming back. He's coming back to purchase that treasure. The, the, the disciples were thinking that, man, Christ is going to die. Okay, that he said he's going to die, but man, he's going to come back, and we're going to establish the kingdom. No, Christ is going to die, and he's going to bury Israel, if you will. But he's coming back to buy that land. He's coming back to buy that nation. Praise God for that. Brethren, I think one of the most insidious errors in Christianity is the idea that the church has replaced Israel. The church has not replaced Israel. God still has a plan for Israel. God has a plan for Israel, and someday Israel will be in the rightful place. Someday they will occupy that land, and there will be no Palestinians around them to give them a hard time. And Jesus Christ at that time will be on the throne in Jerusalem, ruling and reigning exactly like the Bible says. You can call me an idiot for being a literalist, but you know, that's what the Bible says, and that's what I believe is going to happen. And then we see the pearl of great price, verse 45 and 46. Again, the kingdom of heaven is like unto a merchant man seeking godly pearls, who when he hath found one pearl of great price, went and sold all that he had and bought it. Now this is really interesting because the kingdom of heaven is like unto a merchant. So the kingdom of heaven is not like the pearl. The kingdom of heaven is like the merchant. And who is the kingdom? Christ is the kingdom. So what is this pearl then? Well, we would probably understand the, uh, the pearl to be related to the church. Because Christ, when he came, he is the kingdom, but he saw this other valuable gem. He saw this other valuable thing. And brethren, those are the other people, the, the people we call Gentiles, that were created in the image of God, that God loves just as much as the Jewish people. And what does he do? He sells everything to purchase that pearl of great price. Not pearls, but pearl. Now I'll tell you what, again, we could camp there for a while. Brethren, it's the pearl of great price, not pearls. This, that, that is not the church. We are the church. Collectively, we're the church. When you hurt, we all hurt. When you backslide, we all backslide. 
when you're victorious, we're all victorious. Brethren, there is no I in church. I know that's really cliche, but there's not. The church is us. And so Christ went and he purchased us. He saw the value that nobody else saw. Now, I don't want to get too far into it, but you know, there's so many neat parallels between a pearl and the church because they were both born out of adversity. The church wasn't born in, in, a, in a wonderful kumbaya type of sense. The church was born off of the death of Jesus Christ. And a pearl doesn't start, you know, by, it starts by being an irritant in the, in the oyster. And then it's covered. You know, the other neat thing about a pearl is that it's indivisible. If you cut a pearl, you've basically ruined the pearl. Now, you can cut a diamond. You can cut a gemstone. But if you cut a pearl, it's, it's, it's broken. It's worthless. And that pearl has great value. And there's all kinds of neat things, but I don't want to get uh, too symbolical about all of this thing. But we can see, as again, we look at these parables, we're looking at the progression of the kingdom. And so we start off with the idea that Christ is sowing this seed, and some of it's falling on good, most of it's falling on bad. And then we see that there's going to be people that are going to come, and they're going to sow the bad amongst the good. But Christ will judge someday. And then we see that, that, that the error that is planted is going to grow up, and it's going to be huge. And we see that the birds, the demonic forces, if you will, are going to come and reside in that. But we see that God has a treasure. And God has hidden that treasure. And someday he's coming back to get that treasure. And then we see this pearl of great price. That in this, this kingdom progression, that Christ is going to see a pearl that's valuable. He's going to come back and buy it. And then the last one in verse 47 Again, the kingdom of heaven is like unto a net that was cast into the sea and gathered of every kind, which when it was full, they drew to the shore and sat down and gathered the good into vessels, but cast the bad away. So shall it be at the end of the world. The angels shall come forth and sever the wicked from the just. And so the interpretation here is not rocket science. We see that the, the, the cast that is, is used is, a, is, is going to be a, um, a, a net that's going to grab everything up. But in that net, in what's gathered, there's going to be good and there's going to be bad. And we see the fishermen are going to separate the sheep from the goats, the good fish from the bad fish. And this is referring to when? The end of the age. That's what Christ says, the end of the age. And brethren, when we turn in the book of Revelation, when we turn to Revelation 19, we turn to other places in Revelation, what do we see happening? we see a, a great judgment that happens. We see a great judgment that happens with the establishment of the kingdom of God. And brethren, when that net comes through, none will be left. And brethren, when that net comes through and the kingdom is established, the kingdom will be established with the righteous. And so when we think about all of these things, uh, uh, when we think about these parables, again, these parables really have very little to do with the gospel. Now, again, there's applications that can be made, but they're, they're parables that are primarily referring to the progression of the kingdom of God. What, what is this going to look like? Because Christ is preparing them. 
And they're fully expecting, brethren, you got, you got to really get a hold of this. They're fully expecting that Christ is still there to establish the kingdom right now. They're not thinking 2,000 years from now. They're thinking right now, Christ is ready to establish his kingdom. And Christ is preparing them that it's not going to be exactly like you think. It's not going to happen like that. And lastly, I just want us to turn back into chapter 12. Because remember in chapter 12 when, uh, when they rejected Christ... They, 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 they rejected him. They rejected his, his miracles. They rejected his, uh, the, the, the things that he was showing them. And then Christ says, While he yet talked to the people, behold, his mother and his brethren stood without, desiring to speak to him. This is family. Then one said unto him, Behold, thy mother and thy brethren stand without, desiring to speak with thee. And he answered and said unto them and told them, Who is my mother? Who are my brethren? And he stretched forth his hand toward his disciples and said, Behold, my brother and my brethren. For whosoever shall do the will of my Father which is in heaven, the same as my brother and my sister. The same day went Jesus out of the house and sat by the seaside and began to teach in parables. And so the context here is, 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 is drawing out of that is that the Jews thought, hey, we're okay. Circumcised Jews, we're okay. But Christ is teaching them that, hey, things are going to be quite different from what you expect. Things aren't going to run What's really interesting is when you turn to Acts chapter 1, you'll see the first question that the, the, uh, the, the disciples ask Christ is now the time? Are you going to establish the kingdom now? And Christ says, it's not for you to know the time. And then he gives them the great commission. Until that time, I want you to go out and I want you to proclaim the gospel. I want you to go out into Jerusalem, Judea, Samaria, to the uttermost parts of the earth, proclaiming the gospel. So as we come to this, the church is nowhere to be found yet. The church hasn't even been broached yet. But next week in chapter 16, we'll see where Christ introduces that idea of a, of a gap, if you will, and the idea of a church that's going to be established because of Peter. But all of that is established with our understanding that the kingdom is going to be a time of waiting. It's a time that's not going to happen right away. And then in chapter 16, Christ is going to enter the church, which of course is the time that we're in right now. He has not replaced the kingdom. The church is not the kingdom. We're waiting for the kingdom, just like the Jews. We're waiting for that kingdom. When someday Christ comes back. You see, brethren, eschatology and the return of the Lord is not a superfluous doctrine. That's not a doctrine of, well, as good men think that. The return of Jesus Christ is the great hope. Jesus Christ is coming back someday. And those of us that have slept before are going to return with him. And we're going to rule and reign with Christ on this earth with him. In, in righteousness. You see, so it's not just a, well, Christ is coming back. Well, whatever, you know, who cares? Yeah, whatever, you know. No, it's not spurious. It's absolutely fundamental to the way that we behave and the way that we act. Because we have a literal, physical hope of Christ coming back. I can't wait. I can't wait. It makes me want to break out into a song, what a day that will be again. Um, the, again is not part of the song, but, but I won't, uh, I won't uh, bend your ears with, uh, with that. 
Well, brethren, the parables that we've seen are the parables of the progression of the kingdom. I hope you understand that. I hope you can see that. Um, there's application with the gospel, but its primary purpose, the whole reason for it, is to prepare the disciples for that period of time that error is going to grow. But brethren, the treasure never goes away. The treasure is buried, waiting for the Lord's return. Let's close in prayer. Heavenly Father, God, we do thank you again for all that you do for us. We're so thankful, God, that you prepared the disciples' hearts and you prepare our hearts. God, we're waiting for you now. We see error multiplying around us. But God, we know that you're true. We know, God, that you're faithful and you haven't forgotten. We trust you. Help us, God. We pray in Jesus' name. Amen.